Okay. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right, try that one more time. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Charlie. It's not just me by myself today. Nope. There's other people around. So before we get started, a couple announcements. <clears throat> Next week, June 4, we're having a corporate gathering. We're going to do that right here on the farm, outside. It's going to be a good time. So bring a, bring a potluck lunch, bring a friend, bring a coworker, bring, uh, bring a stranger, brother, bring a brother. Bring a musical instrument. Bring a musical instrument. That's right. We're going to be playing some music. A corporate gatherings be good. Um, also, June 11th, that's the following Sabbath after next week, uh, we're continuing our discussion of 1 Corinthians and we'll be going through chapter 10. And also, don't forget to like and subscribe to our Spotify podcast channel. Share the episodes with your friends, listen to them, turn them around, all that kind of good stuff, too. Okay, so last week, just to do a real quick recap, what does anybody remember from our conversations from last week? It was a relatively short chapter. Before we move into this one, they kind of go hand in hand a little bit. The idols. Yeah, we talked about some idols, food offered to idols, some things like that. Uh, kind of a big verse um, in last week's discussion was when he talked about Paul was not would not use his freedom as a yes. stumbling block for somebody else. That was a big key point of last week's discussion. So, any other things? I remember uh, Diego asked the question, what exactly was an idol? We, all, we discussed that a little bit. Um, any thoughts on that before we move on to the next chapter? I heard a really interesting definition of what an idol is. See if you agree or disagree with this. An idol is the place or thing you go to when you are hurting. What do you think of that? Yeah? Why do you like that? Speak more on that. I like that because oftentimes if we're hurting, um, if we're stressed, um, upset, there's always places that yeah. we go to for comfort. Yep. Be that food or binge watching TV or, um, you know, and most of the time it's, it tends to be more unhealthy than health, a healthy way of coping with a hurt. Um, so, yeah, I like that. You know, Saying God, you know, get in your head with God, you go to whatever's going to make you have comfort for the moment. Most doesn't necessarily take care of it for the long, the long haul. The big picture. So, God, it could be instant gratification. Yeah, yeah. And then find whatever that is. Your holes that need to be filled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Get a gallon of ice cream. Mm -hmm. You know. Now you're trying to fill those holes. Right? Yeah. I think it could also be. I don't disagree with that definition at all, but I think some people could have as an idol something that they're fearful about or fearful to ignore. Like, I have to do this or something bad is going to happen to me. Like, I, uh, that sounds more like a compulsion. Like, I've got I've to pray the right thing or I've got to give the right, uh, what would you say? Like, give the right offering or sacrifice right. the right whatever. Yeah. Yep. Whatever you do. 
Whatever like, you're trusting. Yes. Whatever you're putting your trust in, yeah. I think. Yeah. To heal you or to fill the hole or, you know, whatever. And that's, uh, that's in essence, last week when we talked chapter 8, that's what Paul, in essence, was saying is, you know, if you yourself put your trust and believe that food offered to idols is a bad thing, you know, he was kind of talking about that whole concept, you know, a little bit. Could idol also be a superstition? Lift your feet up at the train tracks? Don't walk up the ladder? I don't know that one about the train tracks. I've never heard that before. I did that until I was 42. Oh. But, I mean, would that be considered an idol also, a superstition? If you don't do something, then you'll be rewarded. Or if you do something to something like that, um, somehow or another I'm putting faith in uh, walking (laughs) under a ladder. The black cat. You're putting your, <coughs> your trust and your faith in randomness or in fate or whatever you think is in fate, control. Yeah, fate, yeah, fate. If I, if I keep my feet down while crossing the railroad track, right. what's going to possibly happen? Does that just mean bad luck in that superstition? I, I can't, yeah, just I'm like very all the other ones. You know, something bad will happen if you don't do this. Or are you feeding a false idol yeah. by getting into the false idol yeah. of... What do you do if you're driving? I did. So, uh, continuing on here with <laughs> chapter nine, then. Um, you ready, kill? No. You have to lift a black cat in that case if you can't lift your own feet. Yeah. <laughs> anybody here get a chance to read chapter nine ahead of time? Yes. Yes. Did, did anybody not read it yet? A couple people. That's right. You're reading it right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Um, there's there's classes for you where they give you the answers at the beginning for that. So I've heard good. of those. So chapter nine, at the title, Paul's example as an apostle, and he kind of he kind of goes through a lot of interesting things in the beginning. Um, he talks about some interesting, um, some interesting discussions or some comparisons here in the beginning, and let's maybe just read down through a couple of them before we get into some real kind of meat and potatoes further on. But let's let's start, you know, start at verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? He's asking a bunch of questions. If I'm not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have a right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles? He goes on to name to, to list a few people there. Verse 7, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? Verse 9, For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while he treads out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake, because he who plows ought to plow in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? Verse 12, and then we'll have a little discussion here. If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless... We have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul is going on a rant. Yes. 
It sounds like he was pulled up on criticism for something oh, or something. It's really very, it, yeah, the yeah. tone of this felt, when we were reading it, felt very defensive. Yeah. Yeah, so let's let's have a little discussion here. What do you think, based on what he was talking about, what do you think was going on? He's been accused of something. Go ahead. No, no. It's only one sec. All right, so we'll go Joe, and then we'll kind of do this, and we'll go around. So go ahead, Joe. What do you think? Um, I, I admit I read a little bit of um, commentary on, on some various sites. Good. And Share what you... This is, if this is what, if I'm st- at the right... Part of this, um, you know, he you know, shouldn't a person who a minister be paid for his services? Mm-hmm. Being the, should he, you know, should he be rewarded something? And you know, there, you know, and I think some people think, oh, since you're given the word of God, you you shouldn't be rewarded for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a that's an interesting concept, which is always. Which has been stuck in my head when you put in put things into life, uh-huh. um, and it's and then how much is what is your what is your you doing with what Paul's doing? What is it worth? Can you put a dollar figure or a monetary amount on it? And what is it? And that's a that's a tough question to answer. Um, <laughs> or should you just be giving of yourself? Christ is spread the word and talk. And, yeah. So that's kind of one of the things that I read last night. It's kind of interesting to mm-hmm. put this in perspective, help me get this in perspective. So let's continue around, Sarah. Do you have anything to add to that? Sharing? I don't think so. Yeah? So that's absolutely right. Paul's making this point to say, you know, when, when, he, when he talks about shouldn't the ox, you know, don't muzzle the ox. So basically the ox is putting in all this work. Let him be rewarded from his work. Let him be, quote unquote, paid or reimbursed or anything like that. So Paul's definitely kind of talking it out. Doesn't, don't I have a right, though? But he says something really, really interesting in verse 12. If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Paul is saying that. Paul is saying, don't I have a right to receive benefits and get paid? But then what does he follow it up with? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this. Instead, what does he do instead? We endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. So before we move further, let me just ask a couple questions. Number one, what is the gospel of Christ? The word. Word? Okay. God's unconditional love. Okay. Gospel means good news. Gospel is a word that says good news. So what's the good news about Christ? That he is an exact replica of the Father. Correct. The gospel is the truth about God as revealed in Jesus. The good news about God. The gospel is that God is not the kind of person that his enemies have made him out to be. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So Paul is saying, nevertheless, even though I have a right to charge you or to receive support, even though I have a right to say, give me support, he's saying, I'm not doing that because I endure everything so I will not hinder the good news about God. How is he hindering the good news about God if he's saying, I won't come to your church or I won't do this? These are just my thoughts on 
it's I found it to be, you know, just it's a it's a real complicated situation. I mean, it's so you're not going to come and tell us the word of God if we don't pay it. And, and you know, I'm not saying he did that, but it's it's a there it's 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 a it's a lot deeper than when I initially read this. You know, that I that I started seeking out different things about this article. Yeah. yeah, I think we still see this playing out today, right? Because you see all over the place you know, pastors that are have become wealthy. And I think that's a stumbling block to people. I think a lot of non-Christians look at this and say, you're just saying these things to manipulate people to take their money. Mm-hmm. And, and so like when it's when it's that lavish and out front, um, you know, I, I tend to think that they're right. On the other hand, if they're spending all of their time that they could be earning a living, you know, in pursuit of sharing the gospel and helping people and taking care of them, then at least you would, I would want to see their needs met. Mm. Um, When, when we were doing the music ministry full time, this is something that we came up against all the time, right? Um, A lot of people uh, in some church backgrounds were really happy to offer a, you know, a, a nice honorarium to us knowing that we were full time yeah. doing this. Yeah. And others really just kind of expected that we would show up and play and mm-hmm. and drive great distances and, you know, do it for lunch. Yeah. And that was that was challenging. Sure. That was challenging. I'm sure. So there's a verse here that <clears throat> I wanna wanna steer you guys to real quick to just kind of unpack, you know, what Paul's talking about. He endures everything, so will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Is someone able to look that up for us real quick and read it? Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Okay, so what was Jesus right? <laughs> he existed as God. Jesus is God. Jesus' right was God. Everything. Everything. But even though he had that right, did he use it? He did nope. not. He did not exploit it. He did not use it. Instead, what did he do? He humbled himself and trusted God, not in his own rights, his own. Right. Do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? Anyone offer a different opinion on that? So for me, I see direct correlation that Paul is saying, even though I have a right to do this, I'm not exercising that right because I'm choosing to trust God. And Go ahead. Uh, so he had the right to ask for care, whatever that would be, shillings or whatever. Sure. He had the right to ask for it, but he wasn't. He was <clears throat> hoping or kind of leaning, he was kind of leaning on the the natural generosity of people's hearts in seeing his need and just offering it to him without him having to ask. Like, <clears throat> to me, that was his hope. I'm not asking it for anything. <clears throat> I believe Romans, there's a verse that says, or maybe it's Hebrews, I can't remember. Um, the, the righteous live by faith. And you can unpack that to say, 
the righteous are the people who are right with God, live by faith. Faith in, in the Greek is pistis. It's uh, faith, trust, belief. It's all the same word. So those who are right live by trust in God. So Paul, in essence, is saying, you know, I'm choosing to do the right thing and be the right person in God's eyes to demonstrate who God is, but I'm trusting God with the outcome. In essence. And for my care. Exactly. And for my care. Trusting God for my care. Exactly. So there's two verses I want to point to to speak to what Joe talked about. You know, so does Paul have a right to, to you know, what is Paul's payment? What is his reward? So let someone read verse 14 for us. We're back into back in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Someone read verse 14. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that God... Let's try this again. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. Okay. Again, we've defined what's the gospel. Gospel is the good news about God, the truth about who God is. So in the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the truth about God and who God is should earn their living by the truth about God and who God is. And who's God? God is good. God is provider. God is healer. God is fill in the blank. God is love. Right? So let's jump down further to verse 18. No, let's actually read from 15 down to verse 18. Someone read that for us. 15 through 18. For my part, I have used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they have been, where they may be applied in my case. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. For I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I am compelled to preach. And to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am untrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my rights in the gospel? So Paul's asking the question, so what's my reward? I get to do this. Right? In that essence, sense, yeah. my reward is that I get to do this. What do you think, Seth, since you read it? I don't, I don't know. I mean, that makes sense. And, you know, it makes sense. Yes. He, he made money off a sale, so he had an income. Literally, sales. S A I L S. Well, it's right. rewarding in itself to be the cause, to be the person being it. And why is that rewarding? Because, I mean, I can't explain the psychological reason, but I can say that it feels good to do a favor for someone in mm -hmm. a simple way. Pulling a door open for someone. Not. You know, out of self pity or something, or out of pity for somebody, but because you genuinely want to help them, feels good. So, what happens when you, when we as people, we understand and we truly internalize the gospel? Again, we've defined it as the truth about God, the kind of person He is. What happens to us when the truth about who God is comes into our minds? We comprehend it, we understand it, we accept it, and we believe it. What happens to us? We're changed. Start being more like that. Yes. We become one. We become healed. We become changed. We become one with Christ. We become 
like Christ. Okay? Now, as a person working with a friend or a co-worker, and God has used you to demonstrate and to reveal and to teach this other person about the truth about God. You have shared the gospel with another person and they accept it. And they now are becoming changed because they've accepted Christ into their life. The truth about God. What kind of a reward does that feel like? You can't, you can't assign any value to that experience because you know that you have participated in planting seeds and watering and growing. We've learned about all that earlier in Corinthians in the eternal healing of someone's life. Right? Anybody have anything to add to that? So Paul's saying that's a reward enough for me right there. That lives are changed. Lives are changed. That's reward. And he's essentially saying, and I trust God with my selfless act. Right. That's right. Right. So I want to read through verses 19 through 23. And there's some really interesting things in here, but I want to do it a little bit slower. I want to take it one verse at a time and kind of contrast <coughs> and compare what Paul's talking about here. Um, he's describing himself as a chameleon, right? And what's a chameleon? Right. Chameleon is an animal that can change on what in an exactly environment. That's right. Changes depending on the environment he's in. So so I want to go through each each of these verses here. And let's unpack it. If and if anybody has other translations of the Bible, other versions, please read them too. You know? Yeah, you got them all. That's great. So verse 19, let's just start there, see what he goes. So Paul says, Although I am free from all men and not anyone's slave. I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. What's he saying? He's working for other people. No, maybe not. He's trying to become more like them, or experience how they how experience their life experience, or kind of put put himself into their shoes. I'm not getting the affirmative yes. So I'm just there's no yes or no. It's it's your. He's knocked himself down a few pegs to to be on the same level as these people, in order to relate with them. Did Jesus? Was there necessarily knocking himself down a few pegs? Well, it depends on how he thought about himself. But so let's compare it to Philippians two, the mind of Christ. Jesus, who by very nature was God chose not to seek equality with God, but humbled himself to the form of a yeah. servant. Human. Yes, servant. Servant. So Paul said, basically saying, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, like Christ, Jesus is God. He's, he is God. But what did he do? I made myself a servant to everyone in order to win more people. Connections? Thoughts? I, I'm thinking about my brother uh, mm. when we read this. <clears throat> um, my brother has, has taught and preached literally all over the world. All over the world. But now, for the last uh, eight years, 
has been ministering to just this little band of people who are challenged with addictions, challenged with just being able to survive day by day. You know, it's a complete difference than what his normal ministry had been for the last 20 years. Um, mm. So he's made himself, yeah, he's kind of like stepped back from a lot of that to just minister to these people just exactly where they are and try and lift them up out of where they are to a, a better better life, better world. That's good. I think too, if, sorry to jump in, if, if you look around, you can see that in many areas of the Christian world, this is completely flipped around backwards, where those Christian folks expect the world around them to adapt to what they are yeah. and what mm. they believe. Yep. Like you see it, like I've experienced it firsthand in some of those church cultures but you see it on the news all the time right that, yeah. that, that they expect the world to conform to their system of beliefs and things yeah. It, yeah. it's like we've forgotten this concept yeah, yeah that's good <clears throat> so verse 20 paul continues he gives more examples in more detail to the jew i became like a jew to win jews to those under the law like one under the law though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. A little confusing? Does anyone have a different translation than when they read verse 20 out of? The remedy is very interesting if you want to hear it. I do. I'd love to hear it. When I'm with the Jews, I respect their customs and traditions in order not to offend, so that their hearts may be open to be inoculated with the remedy of Christ. When I'm with legalists, <laughs> he even says it that way, when I'm with legalists, who adhere to many rules, I respect their rules, even though I know they provide no remedy to sin, in order not to offend, so that their hearts may be opened and inoculated with the remedy of Christ. Yep. Isn't that something? I think the key word in that paraphrase is yep. offend. Right. Yeah. Morgan. That goes along with what last week's topic was about a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Creating a stumbling block and all that kind of <clears> stuff. <throat> yeah. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. Yeah. Because think about it, like the word offend. If you're working with someone and you're trying to demonstrate the gospel to somebody, but you offended them because they believe in some tradition or belief or whatever, how susceptible are they to, to hearing anything you have to say? Probably not very. I mean, you show up in someone's house and you insult them out of the gate. Or whatever. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, there are a lot of changes we can make day to day, moment to moment when we're with different groups of people that don't compromise our beliefs or our yeah. being like Jesus. Yeah. Smaller, less important choices that we can really move around a lot on so as not to offend. And of course there are things that we would never go so far as to do. Sure. You know, if I'm on death row, I'm not going to kill people so that I can relate to them. Or, you know, there's obviously a length we wouldn't go to. But sure. I think when the greater principle is their eternal life, I think there are a lot of a lot of things we can relate to, you know, we can, can do that that allow... A window into their lives. 
because you know you that said something sense. yeah because you said something really interesting here before we move to verse 21 when you are working with somebody and you're you're focused on the gospel the good news about god what is your primary concern is it temporary life or is it right. eternal life right your primary concern is their eternal life exactly exactly so verse 21 paul continues and he says exactly what you just mentioned sherry to those who are without the law like one without the law though i am not without god's law but under the law of christ to win those without the law super complex wording there yeah so what's he essentially saying to the person who doesn't believe there's any law, who doesn't live by any moral standard, but I, but Paul's saying I can, I will not offend them, but I'm not going to, even though I have my moral standards, and even though I live by God's law, design law, right? I think that's what Paul's saying. What do you guys think? God's law, Jesus' law, the greatest commandment: love God. And love others as as yourself or as Jesus loved you. That's right, the really. law. Right. Then however you can reach someone under that umbrella of unconditional love, <coughs> it seems like that's the that's the path to take, the direction to take. Whatever that might mean. I think it you know, I think even I don't know, I have to be careful how I think through this or even say it, but I think that God does and did things that weren't his primary choice in order to reach us for salvation, for eternal life. So what I hear you say is that God met people where they are at right. and led them no faster than they were willing to go, right. even if it was not his ideal, Right. but that's what they needed at the right. time. Right. And he's obviously way more perfectly grown and mature. Yeah. So there are things that he would not have, you know, chosen to do. Mm -hmm. But he needed to do it anyway for our sakes. Mm -hmm. And it didn't didn't modify his goodness. Right. Didn't modify his holiness. And I think that can, at some point, ideally apply to us. That we can, you know, go places or do things that... We wouldn't normally choose to go mentally, physically, whatever, sure. for the sake of someone else, and they don't have to alter where we've gotten to in holiness. Does that make sense? Super I don't, good. I'm seeing it very well. No, I think I think what you're saying is um, is in essence meeting people where they're at. Right what they need to hear that they can actually respond to at the time. It goes yeah. to the seven levels of moral development. Right, if someone's right. at level two, you know, threat and punishment and all of that, then you may have to describe God in a way that sounds very threatening and punishing in order for them to respond because that's right where they're at, even though you know that that's not who God is. In fact, you, we have seen in the Old Testament God interacting with the Israelites around Mount Sinai. The mountain's on fire, the thunder shaking. Yeah. I mean... He let himself appear to be exactly. like that for a while yes. so that they would be reached. Imagine the risk that God ran of being misunderstood. Look how Satan ran with that. I think Jesus set the example, too, of, with meeting people where they are. And there were some people that first he healed them physically. Yeah. 
so that then they can receive spiritual and emotional healing. Some we heal spiritually first. Some we heal emotionally first. So he, he went to the core where the healing needed to be before he even did the rest, you know. And he, he actually did the same thing where he appeared, you know, when he went to, to eat with sinners, with people who were known to be really bad sinners, so to speak. And he was willing to be seen with them and seen doing stuff with them for their sakes. So he kind of did the same thing. Shouldn't be surprised. So to wrap it up here, verse 22, um, Paul continues and he says, To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, the truth about God, the good news about who God is, so that I may share in the blessings. When I hear the word weak, I think of people who are traumatized, Confused, fearful, insecure, fragile, immature. Kitten gloves handled very carefully because they can break and shatter easily. The thing is, like, I know it, it probably took a tremendous amount of discipline for him to even do that. And even today's world, I mean, there's a stigma behind Christianity that. I mean, even if you're, like, somewhat friends with somebody, sometimes they don't even give you a chance mm-hmm. to bring that kind of subject. So it's a lot harder said than done, for sure. But that doesn't mean it's impossible. It just takes tremendous effort and time. Absolutely. But it shows, it shows the benefit, the power behind this concept, the fact that as the church has done it differently, that now all these walls are in place, like you're describing, Seth. Mm-hmm. Like they find out you're a Christian. Oh, oh, yeah. you're a Christian. I what see. You, yeah. You're judging me. You're against me. You want me to change me like you. Like <laughs> the the fact that it's so opposite shows the power of what if we had followed that mm-hmm. advice from the beginning? You know, things yeah. would be so different now. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So to to wrap it up. <clears throat> What is God calling you to do this week? As a result of what we've learned today, considering what we've learned in the passage, what we've discussed, what is God calling you to change this week? How can our lives as individuals and then collectively as a church family, as a church group, how can we share the gospel, the good news about God, the truth about the kind of person he is? in all things, in all ways, so that you can possibly reach some. And I really like, Mom, what you said at the beginning of this conversation before we started it, your prayer request, to have the strength and the courage to daily stay connected with mm-hmm. Jesus. That's where it starts. Because I, I know for me, I'm not, I'm not there yet. There's certain... There's certain people that can just like get all over me, like you know. I, so I'm not there yet, where I can be all things to all people, all the time, constantly in that unconditional love space. You know, um, I've worked. There's work that is done yet in my heart. 
I would say, I'd say the first part is get, your, get yourself straight. Get your get yourself in the game before you play the game. So say in God that when we are weak, you will be more strong. That's right. Mm-hmm. Trusting in God so that yeah. while we're weak, you yeah. will make us strong. Yeah. Amen. I think that's the linchpin of all of it right there. Mm-hmm. I want that instant transformation that Saul had when he was being claimed king of Israel, mm. I mean, he had like this instant, God like instantly transformed him to where his friends said, man, what happened to him? He's different. You know, that was so much nicer. But did it last? <laughs> to wake up in the morning different. Yeah. But with Saul, it didn't last at all. It did because yeah. he didn't connect. But then you look at David who struggled his <clears throat> whole life. Yeah. But, but God's hand was always on him. That's right. No matter what. So let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you for the kind of person you are, that you are good, that you are a healer, that your laws are, are the reality of life, design laws. And I, and I praise you, God, that um, your purpose is to heal and restore us and that you've just asked us to live our lives in a way that speaks well of you, that, that our lives may demonstrate the good news about you in everything that we do. It is our prayer, God, that your Holy Spirit will continue to restore that in us, to lead us in that way, and that as long as we continue to live in a trusting relationship with you, that the times we are weak, you will make us strong. Love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.